Shiguri Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai Shri Shri Gorada Madhava ki jai Gor Bhakta Brinda ki jai Vaishnava Brinda ki jai Gor Premanandi Good morning everyone Children are out on the land, huh? This morning. That's good. Just put a little light on. Yeah, it's better. So in the evening yesterday we were discussing about the pressing issue in the mind of Dharaj Parikshit, one of the central figures of the Bhagavatam. He is the inquirer and the listener, if you will. Hmm? And the young sage Sukadev was the is the main speaker, and um, it's uh, you need both. So I appreciate uh, your presence here because you're fifty percent of the equation. Without your inquiring spirit and and lending an ear, then there's no one to speak to, and I have nothing to keep me busy and preoccupied with. Uh, so I do appreciate your 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 interest. And um, as Krishna says in the Gita, Bodhayantas Parasparam, describing his devotees, among other things he says they are Bodhayantas Parasparam, they're mutually enlightening one another. So in the Bhagavat, Srimad Bhagavatam, which we're discussing, the in- the spirit of inquiry on the part of Pariksit Marsh was very um, uh, enlivening and enthusing to the sage Sugadev with the nature of his inquiry, the the sincerity behind it. After all, we heard that he went to the bank of the Ganges and he was so ardent in his inquiry that he uh, was uh, prepared to forego eating and and drinking and sleeping in order to uh, answer the, uh, the very pressing question as to what is the, what is the, how to solve the death problem, so to speak. How to live in such a way that we understand death and it's not a problem. Hmm? How to live forever, in other words. Hmm? Um, so that, in a, in a sense, the, 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 the essence of the Bhagavat, uh, from our point of view, is uh, is is that this this inquiry, this inquiring spirit, this, this necessity, if you will, inner necessity, hmm, is um, as I say, fifty percent of the equation. As much as it is there in place, as much as we will be able to tune in to the answers, the answer is already there, but we're not interested in, not even questioning about it, then. Uh, how will we uh, how we get the answer? So I often uh, have likened human life itself to a question, hmm? because in human life we have the question of of, of why, hmm? purposeful question, a question about meaning, um, value, and so forth. Um, whereas in the less complex forms of life, it, it would appear that this why question doesn't arise. Maybe the how questions arise, 
how to eat or how to sleep or how to protect yourself, how to mate, and so forth. We have those questions too, but we have a larger question that arises without without trying. It comes automatically. Meaning, purpose. Humans seem to feel that there's a there's a, there's a there's a purpose to life, that there's more to life than what meets the eye and even the mind. Hmm? Um, and, and in this sense, human life is, is, is a question, a big why question. Hmm? And texts like the Bhagavatam, the sacred text, the Shruti, the Smriti, which we were talking about last night, the sounds of the Smriti that are unauthored to be discovered... And upon being discovered, of course, they are written down and conveyed and passed along and so forth through the teachers and whatnot. But uh, even the way in which they're conveyed and passed down requires a certain setting that they be heard and and, and understood. Hmm? Type of knowledge that uh, we ultimately seek that is comprehensive knowledge, that's a kind of knowing by which we feel there's nothing else that needs to be known. That kind of feeling. This this knowledge is very different than ordinary knowledge. If we go to school, we get an education, we get some knowledge, we put it in our portfolio, and we have our what do they call it? The CV. 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 Yeah. So CV. You also see, and then you get a job, and so you use the knowledge. It's on your agenda to increase your agenda. And so we're used to collecting knowledge and putting it in our file and having it to use for our purposes. And, of course, that includes a certain sense of what I am or what I want to be, what I'm going to be, and what I can earn, and so on and so forth. But the kind of knowledge that we're talking about from the sacred texts is a different type of knowledge because it's not the kind of knowledge that we can use to foster our material agenda as much as it is knowledge that informs us that we are on its agenda. That's a very different kind of knowledge. We're used to making knowledge part of our agenda. Do you follow me? But we find we're part of a larger agenda. This is this is a different kind of knowledge. Hmm? And um, it's a good agenda, so it's not bad. <laughs> we're, we're, we're on the God's agenda, so to speak. There's a universal, if you will, mind. Hmm? And so, so this, uh, this uh, ardent uh, inquiry um, that um, at some point in, human, in, in every human's life it, it arises to one extent or another. Hmm? We usually have a, 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 a existential crisis in in adolescence, now we have it over and over again in the modern society. People at 50 are recreating themselves and wondering what they're about and, and so forth. Um, that can be problematic, but, <laughs> but uh, usually in, 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 in youth, hmm? in adolescence, then we start to question everything, right? And, uh, and, uh, and wonder why we are, what our purpose is, and so on and so forth. So, to some extent, obviously it'll be different in different people. The inquiring spirit as to why will be deeper than others, but it's there, 
in all of us. And in this sense, human life is like a big question. And so, what's the answer? That's the question, I guess, too. <laughs> if we are a question, what's the answer? And so the sacred texts and the sadhus who pass those, the, 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 the implications of those texts onto us, they are the, the, the answer, in a sense, and the Godhead answers. And the general question that we have is that, as I say, there seems to be something more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. What I can, what I can do by acquire by my senses, or what I can think about. There seems to be more than things and thoughts, even, hmm? to life. Hmm? And uh, and the answer, in one sense, coming from the sacred text, is yes, there is more than things and thought, and it begins with you. You are more than things, and you are more than thoughts. That's pretty encouraging. I mean, it's pretty abstract, but um, you know, we're in a world of things and thoughts, and um, we have in the Western uh, philosophical and scientific tradition the Copernican Revolution some years ago in Europe, where the um, Earth-centered conception was um, thought to be uh, faulty in a, in a sun-centered universe has uh, come in, in, in vogue. Hmm? That was revolutionary. Amongst the uh, ancient uh, Hindus, of course, you have this, um, this uh, cyclical idea of time. Hmm? It's very different than the Western... Christian, interestingly enough, and scientific uh, linear time. This linear time is very, actually very uh, disturbing because uh, lines are made up of points, for example, and you cannot, if you seek to define a point, you have to define a thing by that which is it's in relation to. Hmm? So you have to look at the previous point but then you have to look at the previous point and the previous point, and a line just goes like this, and there's no end. So, if you try to define a particular point, or the whole line, uh, and a line can be something drawn like randomly, a line. Hmm? But a circle is never random. It's always purposeful. Hmm? You understand? It's a complete affair. And so, it Hindus, they spoke about nature, um, in a cyclical sense, not just because the seasons change, because this was thought in Greece also, some, somewhat some cyclical time, cyclical time uh, notion in other primitive cultures, because the days come and the nights come and the seasons change and go round and round and so forth. Um, but in the deeper sense, the Hindus thought that time is cyclical and the, mo- the mo- world is moving in a cyclical way coming and going, coming and going, universes expanding and contracting and expanding and contracting. Because, why? Because they had located something around which, and it wasn't the earth and it wasn't the sun, that they felt and really experienced everything was going around. What was it? It was an atmocentric idea, conception, that there's something that's still. Hmm? 
around which everything is moving. The world is of matter is transforming, transforming and transforming, and something is observing, hmm? and it's us. Hmm? So they had an, a consciousness-centric um, perspective. Hmm? And really, this uh, it is this consciousness that we are, this, uh, for lack of a better word, the atma that we are. When we say consciousness, it's often thought of as perception. I'm conscious of something. But we're speaking of something more than that. Hmm? Consciousness meaning like the theater of experience, um, uh, the seat of experience, as opposed to that which is experienced, the seat of experiential of experiential reality. Hmm? Um, and so... The idea is that this consciousness that we are, this atma that we are, is, comes to the fore in human life hmm? in comparison to the less complex forms of life. And it, coming to the fore, is inquiring about itself. The why question has to be a, con- a co- question that comes from consciousness where meaning and value lie. Hmm? It can't come from nature uh, unto herself, which is quantitative. Hmm? We examine nature, we see velocity, we see depth and width and and quantitative measurements. Hmm? But then the Atma is about qualitative experience. Hmm? So, so the point being here, what? That the question that arises in human consciousness when the Atma comes to the human form of life, this question of why am I and purpose and meaning and so forth becomes somewhat prominent. Hmm? Is really, as the way I'm speaking about it, the, the the question that distinguishes us from the less complex forms of life. So as much as this question is not pressing and not on our mind, the Bhagavad describes such persons, such humans as Dvipada Pashu. Do you know it? Dvipada Dui, dui, pada, tu, pashu means animal, two-legged animal. <laughs> so uh, the, char- the, the characteristic, that the, the defining uh, the line between the less complex forms of lust, that le- life, let's say the animals and the humans, is this inquiring about the more. Hmm? You understand? It's a question coming from the atma that's facilitated by the human dress more than it is by the animal dress. Mm-hmm. And of course, we understand the Hindus understand that there's a, there's a there's a there's a progression, if you will, in life of consciousness uh, uh, evolving through different uh, species of life. There may be a biological evolution as well, but uh, we also acknowledge a, a and more so a consciousness-driven kind of reality. Hmm. So, in human life, human life is the form of life, that uh, material form of life that best facilitates the atma to inquire about itself. And that inquiry distinguishes it again from the less complex forms of life. So it's good to ask that question. Hmm. But now where will we get the answer? Right? And I say it's from the sadhus and from the sacred texts and so forth. 
Why? Because I say that question cannot be answered by nature because it's not a question that pertains to the natural side of ourself. By natural, I mean the biological or the psychological uh, side of ourselves. Hmm? Right? That has necessities too. The same same necessities as the animals, to to eat, to sleep, to protect yourself, to, to mate, and so forth. We have those, but those are the biological necessities. Those needs will be answered by nature. Hmm? But the need of why am I, purpose and meaning, nature has to turn us in the direction of the Godhead hmm, for that, to the consciousness world, because it's a consciousness question, understand? It's not really um, a biological question. It's the question, the question is really, is there something more than the biological and psychological life? You know, there's uh, some questions that have been said that uh, that science still hasn't answered, believe it or not. <laughs> Quite a few, actually. And at the top of the, practically at the top list, come in, please. Welcome. Hmm. At the top of the list is what is the biological makeup of consciousness? That's the question. What is the biological makeup of consciousness? And you see, this is not really a scientific question. It's a scientist's question, but it's not a scientific question. What I mean by that is, it's a scientist's question, and whether you wear a sari or a dhoti or a, or a suit and a tie or a white, you know, laboratory coat. These are all different types of humans. Right? And humans have biases, prejudices. Hmm? They're not purely scientific (laughs) and unbiased. Hmm? So a scientific question would be, what is the makeup of consciousness? A human scientistic question um, prejudiced by a certain bias that leads one to believe that there's nothing beyond the physical will ask, what is the biological makeup of consciousness? We should be asking, what is the makeup of consciousness? You understand? So there's a prejudice built. Who says there's a biological make? Maybe that's why you can't answer the question. <laughs> You're having a hard time. Because it, isn't, it is not biological in nature. Hmm? So, <laughs> so, so if if that's the case, and there's good reason for that, you may reason one way or the other way. Hmm? But uh, we have a heritage as Hindus that reasons in another way, and we have examples of people hmm, in history that very much seem to speak to us as examples that that are that that uh, serve to illustrate our um, sensibilities that consciousness is not biological. I mean, that's the whole idea of sadhana. Sadhana, you know, spiritual practice, yoga, for example, is to demonstrate, at least to oneself, that there's a difference between consciousness and and matter. Hmm? 
and that the more that I sense that life is about and what meets the eye and the mind is, is actually me. Hmm? And I'm not a, th- a thing or a thought. Hmm? It's a very interesting concept, right? Very basic to, to Hinduism. And so there are sadhus, and there are fake sadhus too, and we, you know, we have that problem, <laughs> obviously. India's got lots of them. Now that America's got lots of them too. But, uh, <laughs> but, but they're, they're real sadhus. Hmm? And, uh, and they really do tower like lighthouses on the shore in the night hmm? for us who are adrift in the ocean of material existence hmm? and can't find any real ground, permanent ground to stand on, any knowing that is, that is conclusive. Hmm? And they speak to us like lighthouses that there, sh- there is a shore, there is a shore, and it's go in this direction. Hmm? Go in this. Go in the direction. It's it's kind of invisible direction, but they stand as very visible physical representations, if you will, of that land. The Perlads, the Nardas, uh, the, uh, the Shankars, the uh, Chaitanya, and so on and so forth. And and they're not only in India. I mean, there's there you have you know your even amongst the Sufis, the Rumi, was Rumi Indian or maybe Persian, Persian Rumi, or you have Jesus. They all say similar things. There are some nuanced differences, but they all speak about, really at their core, welcome, ego effacing, the, 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 they speak about the, the fact that by effacing the material ego, the biological and psychological sense of self through spiritual practice, you can arrive at a knowing of a self that transcends things and thought. Hmm? So, so again, if the self, if the atma is not biological in its makeup, then the natural world cannot answer its questions. Hmm? So we have to go somewhere else. Hmm? That is the idea of the sacred texts. That is the idea of the sadhus and so forth, who, who... To be credible sadhus, they really do need to support what they say from the, from the Veda Matta. If you have a, a father figure, if you will, let's say, um, as a guru, then you need a mother figure as the Veda, and they, they should never be divorced, you see. They, 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 there is the theory, and, and I'm not saying women can't be gurus, they can be gurus too, but... I'm just saying you need these two, the Guru and the, and the Veda, and Veda is often described, Veda Mata. So uh, together, they, 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 they have, you have the theory, the revelation, the sacred text. These are the sounds that are unauthored, like we said last night, like mathematic. mathematics. Mathematics is thought to be by many, by the majority of mathematicians, to be unauthored, not invented in the human mind, but discovered by humans. It tells us something about the substratum of the of the physical world. So the sounds of the Upanishads and so forth, they tell us something also about the substratum of the material world and about our self that's beneath the whole thing. Aparayam mitastanyam prakritim vidimeparam, Krishna says in the Gita. And the Atma, the Jivatma, is, is sustaining the world. Hmm? Jagat. The jagat, the world, 
again, is being supported by consciousness. It is what the world is going around. Hmm? It's permanent, hmm? immovable. Hmm? And the world is constantly in flux, changing. It's here today in all of its forms and gone tonight, if not tomorrow. Hmm? So, so I'm just emphasizing here for the moment this inquiring spirit that Parikshit was so, the Raj was so preoccupied with. Hmm? In Bhagavad, he wanted to know the more to life. He knew he was going to die. He realized that eating and drinking cause death rather than life. I explained this point last night. It's very interesting, peculiar. But you have to understand, I think, we have to, that spiritual life is very peculiar knowledge. Spiritual knowledge is very peculiar in, in a way. It's, it causes us to think in a very different way. Like I said before, material knowledge is some knowledge that we can acquire and put on our agenda to increase our capacity to pursue a job or whatever. But the Veda has knowledge that we find has an agenda of its own, and we're on that agenda. Hmm? It's very peculiar. Well, we're used to looking at the, at the material world as, as if we are the subject and matter is object hmm? that we do with as we like. Hmm? Right? And there's some truth to that. Hmm? But then if we look, we look down, we look like the subject and matter is the object. If we look up, well, we're really living in the dream of God. Now you have to think about that. That's very peculiar. We are players in a dream of God. Oh, goodness. <laughs> that uh, because God is good, it's a good, it's good place to be, but otherwise it sounds a little disconcerting at first. I'm just uh, you know, a member of somebody's, somebody's dream. Hmm? It's not such a far-out thought. Even in science today, if you really look deeply, for example, into physics and astrophysics and so on and so forth and people start to wonder are we just a hologram or a reflection or what yeah are we just a simulated reality they, they have these thoughts now and so forth hmm? of course they're not they're not theistic and it doesn't doesn't have a very warm feeling to it hmm? but from the from the Upanishads from the Shruti from the, from the Veda from the Smriti and so forth it's a very warm also idea after all, I mean, we speak about we're speaking of the Bhagavat, Srimad Bhagavatam, the central figure, of course, that the two, Raj and the sage Parikshit and Sukadeva, are speaking about is ultimately Krishna, and you know he's really the the form of Krishna, the figure of Krishna, is meant to say to us that we're speaking about a, that the center, if you will, the, our source, is of an affectionate nature, hmm? that it rules that center by affection. That's not something to be concerned about. If I can rule over you and control you physically, that might be a problem. I lock you up in a room, that's a problem. If I control you mentally by psychologically manipulating you, that's even more of a problem, because you don't even know it, maybe, but you're being controlled. But if I control you by love, by affection, that's not a problem, because if I, could, if I love you, and therefore I control you by love, then that means that you love me. Hmm? So then you control me also. 
So this is the whole idea of Krishna, because you have Radha is the personification of love, and Krishna is the object of love. Hmm? And so Radha means bhakti, and bhakti is making Brahman move. As I said before, Brahman is everywhere, so how can it move? Brahman knows everything. Hmm? What will it do? If you know everything already, what's there to do? Hmm? But in Krishna we find Brahman, the Param Brahma, is moving and dancing. And he's also not knowing everything. He's not knowing. Does Radha love me or not? Hmm? Sometimes he's not sure. Hmm? This is, of course, Leela. Leela means play. If you know everything, then the impetus to do anything is diminished considerably. You already know what's going to happen. So omniscience is a problem. We might think it would be great, but I'm speaking about it from God's perspective. It's a problem. And omnipresence is a problem because there's nowhere to go anymore. I'm already everywhere. So I'm just sit. Hmm? Still. Hmm? But in Krishna we find somehow Brahman is moving, not only moving, but dancing. Hmm? And his knowing, hmm? I mean, Brahman thinks, I am the son of Yashoda. Does Krishna just think that? Hmm? You know, Yashoda Mai, Nandam Papa, father and mother of Krishna. Does Krishna just think, I am Brahman, I am just pretending that I am the son. Of, you know, he actually, he thinks that. <laughs> That's a kind of very curious kind of... It looks like an unknowing. But you see, in love, there is a kind of unknowing. In bliss, there is a kind of ignorance. We say, bliss is ignorance, ignorance is bliss. I mean, that's true on a low end. Hmm? But it's true on the highest end, too. Hmm? Love is a kind of knowing that includes a kind of unknow- an unknowing in it that makes for new possibilities in an ongoing way. Hmm? There's a certain there's a certainty, I want to say, and an uncertainty that make up love. Love is a certainty. I've, I, I cannot, let's say, in the material life, we cannot rest until we find love. Hmm? You get to a certain age and you've got to figure it out. Who am I, I going to be with? Hmm? girl wants to find a boy and a boy wants to pretend he doesn't want to find a girl or something like that. <laughs> and still play, he thinks. So, but certainly, is a certain, we all cannot be satisfied until we find love. What happens when you find love? You just sit still then forever? No. Then, you, then it has a movement of its own. It has its own orbit. And within the orbit of love, there's uncertainty. Hmm? But it's a kind of, it's okay. Hmm? It's part of the, the package, so to speak. I mean, it, it's exciting hmm? um, and fresh. Love, in a full sense, is, is ever fresh. When you love something, then you never get tired of it. It always seems new. Hmm? It always speaks to you in newer ways. And, uh, such is the, the power of, of love. Hmm? And it's considerably powerful, love, because... In love, we can turn faults into ornaments. That's the power of love. For example, it said, blind mother, a, a mother named her blind son Padmalochan. 
you understand? Who's blind? <laughs> but that's a good kind of blindness. That's a kind of ignorance in which we want that. There's a kind of knowing in that, you understand? <laughs> it's more valuable than saying, no, no, he's blind. His eyes are not very pretty. Put put some sunglasses on him or something. Hmm? Hmm? That's a kind of scientific knowing. Now, that's the truth. Hmm? Mother has a different truth. She sees lotus eyes. Hmm? So you see, love has the power to turn faults into argument or ornaments. It has the power to, to harmonize um, contradictions. And be sure, life is full of contradictions. Hmm? Only love will change that. Hmm? So the Godhead who personifies love, the all contradictions are resolved in Radha and Krishna. In Krishna we find the full knowing and a kind of spiritual unknowing that is the power of bhakti. I said yesterday that by the power of bhakti, well, in one sense, Brahman is being turned into Krishna. That's pretty powerful because he is who is all present is suddenly can't go anywhere because he, he's everywhere, is, is moving. Hmm? He was all-knowing. Hmm? It's like the child of the shoulder and he wonders if Radha loves him or not. Hmm? Many poems about this. Hmm? Krishna trying to secure her, her affections and so forth in, in the Leela. You see, this is, Leela is the solution to the problem of omniscience and omnipresence. Because omniscience and omnipresence lead to boredom. You understand? You already know everything. You're already everywhere. <laughs> well, now. <laughs> so what do you do when you're bored? Then you play. Hmm? You make up something. Hmm? So, that you, so that you don't know something. So that you can find out something. This is Leela. Hmm? But this, this unknowing that is the play of Leela... It transcends omniscience. Do you understand me? It extends beyond omniscience, which we think is the all-knowing position. So there's a kind of unknowing in the Leela that constitutes a, a, a greater measure of knowing, the knowing of loving. Hmm? How, how comprehensive is the knowing in loving? In loving, you don't need to know anything else. Hmm? You don't need to know Actually, he's blind. You don't need to know. Hmm? For example, in the, in the example I gave, then hmm? just uh, uh, a lesser thing, something like that. Hmm? So, the power of bhakti is such. Just see, what if the power of bhakti can make he who is everywhere move, he who is all knowing enter into some kind of transcendental unknowing then certainly bhakti has the power to deliver us from our condition. It has an effect on Bhagwan. Hmm? <laughs> what to speak about us? Bhakti can affect Brahman. Hmm? What to speak of affect positively? What to spe speak of affect our condition? Hmm? To dispel the influence of maya. Hmm? Hmm? That is easy for bhakti. Because after all, 
She can overwhelm even, even Krishna. Krishna means the Godhead overwhelmed by bhakti, become a plaything in the hands of his devotees. You want vatsalya bhakti. You know what vatsalya? Vatsalya means like parental love. God can become like your son. <laughs> what is that? Hmm? It means your son is in your hands. God can become like a friend, the friend of Sridam, Subal, like the lover hmm? of Radha. Hmm? We say in Bodhi Vaishnavism, in our tradition, Radhe Brindaban Ishwari. Hmm? She is the Ishwari of Brindaban. Hmm? Not Krishna. But Radha. Hmm? This is a very peculiar doctrine, hmm? kind of a super Shakti kind of doctrine, in a sense. Hmm? Hmm? Very much. Uh, uh, but of course, we look at the two, Radha and Krishna, as two counter, two holes that make a ha- halves that make a hole, two holes that make a hole in a counter hole, something like that. Hmm? Because again, you can't have the teacher without the student. You really, in the full sense of Krishna, you can't have Krishna fully without without the devotee. Hmm? And Radha is the full face of devotion. So in every devotee, there's a little bit of Radha, something like that. Hmm? So we're talking about this because we're 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 speaking about the Bhagavad and the story, the central story, the central narrative of the Rajas having been cursed to die in seven days and wanting to make a solution to death, which is is to live a life, uh, to perfect your life, really. Um, if, you, if you accomplish all types of things in life but you have not understood death, then what have you done? Hmm? What have you accomplished? Hmm? Hmm? We have many problems we can cross over, hurdles, hmm? To win another's affection, to, to to support a family, hmm? to to you know move to America, or whatever. I mean, all these things. There are many hurdles and problems, and you come here, and then they you may try to be in your field. There may be discrimination, and so so many things you may have had to experience. Hmm? Um, but this is the ultimate uh, problem that we that 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 should bear down on us, not in a negative way. I mean, we should be morbid and preoccupied with with death, but to face the reality hmm, of the temporal nature of our biological and psychological sense of self. And, and the Veda, the Bhagavad, is very, gives a very positive uh, take on it, very optimistic, as I said, you are the Atma, hmm? you are the more. Hmm? And then what to do about that? And so Parikshit Marsh wanted to know what to do about that, how to solve the death problem and perfect his life, really. Hmm? And so, <clears throat> the answer, right? The answer. Of course, we've already, we've already talked about it, we are talking about it. The, he, the answer, tasmad bharata sarvatman bhagavan ishvaro hari. What does he say? He said, the, the answer is, Tasmat Bharata Bhagavan Ishvarohuri. Sarvatma Bhagavan Hari Ishvara, these are the names of the Godhead, right? Hmm? About him, um, 
you should smartavyam satatam smart you should hear chant and remember meditate upon you should hear about having heard about you should repeat that hmm? and what you hear about and what you talk about is what you will think about hmm? so you hear about and talk about these things like we're hearing and talking about you'll think about these things hmm? These things means, as we're talking about, about Krishna. And Krishna means Krishna is not without bhakti. Krishna is the absolute under the influence of bhakti, which is his own kind of internal shakti. Hmm? Now let me let me say something about that. Let me I want to give an ontological kind of explanation of, of bhakti as it comes from the Bhagavad. And um, I'll cite another verse that answers Parikshit's question also. It gives the same answer, but speaks a little bit differently about it. Bhagavad says, Savai pumsa paro dharmo, yato bhaktir adhoksaje, ahoituki apratiyataya yatmasam prasidati. Savai pumsam for all human beings. Savai pumsam. Puro dharma. Yato bhaktir adhoksaje. It says the the, 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 the the thing that humans should do should be in the forefront of the, what they're preoccupied with in terms of making an ultimate solution to the problems of life, with, with, which death would be, you know, the problem, hmm? the, the temporal nature of our sense of self to bring a solution to that hmm? the the solution to that is is what he what, what is referred to paro dharma yato bhaktir adhoksaja adhoksaja means is a name for for god ad adha adha aksha ja so it means like who's invisible hmm? who's beyond the senses. Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabarit Grahimindri. It said, with the material senses, you cannot see God. Sometimes I've been asked, have you seen Krishna? I've answered in different ways, but one answer I've given is, I wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't looking for him. What do you mean? I'm only looking to serve Krishna. I'm not just looking to have my eyes gratified. Hmm? This Atashi Krishna Namari Nabhavit Grahimindri Sevanmugi Jivado Sayameva Spurateda If you want the spurti of Krishna, if you want to see more than what can be seen with the eyes, hmm? what are eyes? You see? They are senses and how we acquire them, how we got this body, this body corresponds with with our previous karma, hmm? our preoccupation with sense objects, that which we see, that which we touch, that which we hear, that which we smell, that which we taste, these are the sense objects. And then there are the senses, right? Hmm? So, material body has has, for example, eyes for seeing and 
they're suitable for seeing sense objects, sights. The ears are suitable for hearing sounds. The body is built out of the same stuff that uh, the rest of matter is in all its forms are made out of. So there's a correspondence between the sense objects and the senses. But what are these senses and way in mind, for that matter, which are ways, we think, of knowing, as imperfect as they are? The senses are imperfect in terms of giving us conclusive knowledge about anything. They may give us conclusive knowledge about one thing or another, but about many things, they don't give us conclusive knowledge. We can look, a child can look with her eyes at the moon and, and ask her father to give it to her. <laughs> Your eyes are, it's not in the tree there. It's not sitting in that branch of the tree. You know, so the eyes are imperfect, right? We can build instruments as we do technologically to extend the capacity of our senses to know. Hmm? Microscopes, telescopes, and so on. But they're built with the same senses, hmm? right? That we already concluded at the onset were imperfect instruments for knowing. Hmm? And then, of course, there's 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 what you may see and how we may reason about it. Hmm? But we talked about the limits of reason last night as well. Hmm? Hmm. After all, if we're reasoning about imperfect information, <laughs> we might arrive at an imperfect conclusion. Hmm? So these instruments of knowing mind, intellect, and senses, where do they come, where do we get these instruments? Where do we get this e- equipment? Hmm? Huh? <laughs> and it, it, it really, it, it, it is a result of our karma. What is karma? It means we are invested in a life of material acquisition. We are unaware of what we are actually constituted of, and we're looking for what we are constituted of in matter. We're constituted of sat. What else? Chit and ananda. Hmm? What are we looking for? Well, we're looking for sat, chit, and ananda, actually. That's we're looking for sat. We're looking for enduring. We want things that last, right? Let me just break it down. You want to buy something, you look on the internet, you want to find the one that's going to last longer. Hmm? It's going to endure. We want enduring things. We are an enduring unit of reality. We want things that will endure. But we don't know. It's us that endures. So we look forward in things. So we want real things. In other words, that are not here today and gone tomorrow. If they're gone tomorrow, how real are they? They're like something in a dream that we don't give a lot of credence to because it doesn't stay around for very long. So the things that we acquire in our waking life, they don't stay around that much longer either. And often they turn into something else. You bought one thing, and then it turned into being not so good, and you just got a bill to pay for it. That's all. It's <laughs> hmm? a problem. So anyway, we want, we want endurance. Yeah, we want sat. Hmm? And we want chit. Hmm? We want knowing. Hmm? which will give some security. Hmm? We get an education, right? For security. Then we might get a better job, have to work less physically, 
hmm? and earn more. Hmm? So, <laughs> so we get an education for security. And 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 why do you, we we want it? We want an enduring existence. We want a knowing existence. And for what purpose? For loving. Hmm? We want ananda. The first two really are in in search of the third. Hmm? We want to secure an existence that's a knowing one, so that we can. We can love. Hmm? We said last night, there's karma, there's gyan, there's bhakti. Hmm? These aren't just some Sanskrit terms, but it means that there is, there is a life of having, a life of material acquisition, hmm? which, is, which is nowhere in terms of being, because we don't really have anything, and the being, the sense of being that's derived from having is as false as the having. We don't really own anything. We can't really keep anything. So the identity that arises out of, I have this, I have that, hmm? I, have a, I have a visa, I have a green card, so I am a resident of America. Okay, well, who knows what America will be tomorrow? I don't know. <laughs> might be some other country. might split up or who knows or what. Uh, so that identity is, is fleeting. Hmm? Because it's it's tied to a sense of having, hmm? and um, the world of things to have is constantly in flux, and so on and so forth. So there's 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 having, and then there's being, and then there's loving. Hmm? So having that's a problem. That's an illusion. Hmm? Being okay. That's better. I am. Hmm? I am not this or I am not that. I am this or that is all a sense of I based on having. You understand? Hmm? Therefore the Shruti says, Neti, Neti. You're not this, not that, not this, not that. I think I'm American. I'm a husband. I'm um, a wife. I'm Indian. I'm American. Hmm? All those things can, can change, right? You could be a husband, and the next thing you know, you could be a widow. Hmm? Or you could be a divorcee. Hmm? You could be, I mean, are you Americans or Indians? I don't know. You know, what am I? Am I, am I don't know, half one and the other. <laughs> so those things change. Hmm? I am this or I am that. That is false. But I am, that doesn't change. So being, this is much more than, than, than a having and the false I that arises out of a sense of having. But loving transcends knowing also. Because why? There are many ways to explain this, but you can know but not love, right? But in love there has to be some knowing. Let me give you another example. We're talking about pursuing being, pursuing knowing, or pursuing loving. Well, on the other end of that, we have faces of the Godhead. We have the being face, the knowing face, and the loving face. We have Brahman, eternal being. We have the Paramatman, knowing, in the heart of everyone, knows everything. Hmm? We have Bhagawan, simply playing, hmm? in Leela, loving. Hmm? 
there could be an existence that was unknowing. Right? There could be existence that was devoid of knowing. And since we say that matter is existent but not knowing, it's not cognizant, it's inert, hmm? unconscious, asat, achit, nirananda. Hmm? Now, if there is a knowing existence, can there be a knowing existence that's not a being? That's not being? You, I mean, existence means being. You can't, so you can have existence without knowing, but you cannot have knowing without being. Right? So, therefore, knowing is more complete than, than, than being. Because you could have a being without knowing, but you cannot have knowing without being. So knowing includes being. Now, you could have a knowing existence, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be a loving existence, right? You could have a knowing existence, but it wouldn't have to be a loving existence. But if you have a loving existence, then it has to know and it has to be. Hmm? You understand? Hmm. Hmm. Therefore, Krishna says in Gita, Brahmano hi pratishta hum. Brahman comes from me. Hmm? Brahman is, is, is the being side of myself, hmm? aspect of myself. Paramatma is the knowing, hmm? and Bhagawan is the loving in which there's also being and knowing, but they're not so not as important because they, they only serve the purpose for facilitating the loving. Hmm? So we are units of being, knowing, and loving. Hmm? And we seek what we are, unfortunately, hmm? without knowledge of what we are in relation to the external world. Hmm? So we seek to have enduring existence, we seek to have a knowing existence, and we seek to have a loving existence. Hmm? We don't know that we are enduring, we are a unit of knowledge, we are a unit of loving. Hmm? And so because we are looking outside of ourselves, we're looking within matter with our senses and minds and intelligence in relation to sense objects, and thinking by acquiring them, we'll get the being, knowing and loving that we're looking for. We have a certain kind of taking mentality, taking ego, and acquiring, that by acquiring I'll become the more that I feel life should be about. Hmm? Hmm. So this type of acquiring, this type of taking, is, is what keeps us within material existence. It keeps giving us equipment, mind and senses, life after life, body after body. So these senses and mind, intellect, by which we try to know, hmm, they're a product of our own ignorance, in a sense. Therefore, they, they're not very useful for comprehensive knowing. Hmm? So it's said, as I'm, as I'm citing, Atashri Krishna Namari Nabhavit Grahamindri. With the senses, you cannot see Adahuksaja. He's invisible. You think, well, what? you know, if there was a God, why doesn't he show himself? Sometimes we hear this from the atheistic quarters. If there's a God, why doesn't he just like land in Washington, D.C., and say, tell us who to vote for? Hmm? Tell us who's going to win so we don't waste our time. Or so, If there is a God, why doesn't he show up? It's been a long time now, you know. 
Some people say they've seen him, but then when we go there, he's not there. Hmm? Like you, he's like a UFO or something. Hmm? Some people see him, but when you go there, nobody else can see. Right. Well, just in your mind. Well, these sadhus, they're just imagining things, telling these stories, and <laughs> so forth. It's, we should retire all this superstition now. Finish. We're educated people now. There was a God, we could see him. But what are your eyes? <laughs> this is our idea. Hmm? Where did they come from? And what is the self? What is consciousness? Does it have a biological basis? No. Hmm? We shouldn't ask again, what is the biological basis of science? That question you'll ask forever. Hmm? And you will never be answered. The Veda answer, the, the Vedanta answer is, it doesn't have a biological basis. Consciousness is experiential reality, and matter, hmm? chemistry, biology, this is non-experiential. Hmm? Life is consciousness. Hmm? It's not an emergent property of the brain. It's not an epiphenomena of the brain. Hmm? They're looking hard to try to find it in the brain. Hmm? It's a hard problem, they call it. The hard problem of consciousness. Hmm? We give a very simple answer. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not matter, and therefore you can't know it materially. You can't see it with material senses. Hmm? And similarly with God, that, we're, that the Atma is the part of. So if so, but they, but the same same time, the sacred texts give us a way of knowing. What does it say? What is the way of knowing? Well, if the way of ignorance is this life of acquisition, thinking that if I get more things, my existence will improve. I'll know more, and I'll be able to love more, and so forth. Hmm? If that Acquiring ego is the problem, then what's the opposite of a taking or acquiring ego? A serving ego. Hmm? Therefore, sevan muke hijivado, sevan muke. By the prana says that with material senses you cannot see God. But by developing a serving ego, hmm, you will get the equipment for seeing God. Hmm? As I said the other day, if you love someone, they will tell you all the secrets. That's a fact. Hmm? The power of love. And nothing can be hidden from love. See, Nothing can be hidden from love. This is, this is a fact. Love finds everything. Hmm? Love knows everything. Hmm? And it feels like it doesn't need to know anything. I mean, it's, it's its own thing. It's its own thing. Knowing is subordinate to it. It's Love is pregnant with, 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 with knowing. Hmm? But it's a, something unto itself at the same time. Hmm? Love knows everything. That's what Krishna says in the Gita. Twice he says. Hmm? At the end of the ninth chapter, where's the ninth chapter in the Gita? Right in the middle. Where do you put the secret? Where you want to hide something in the book? Hide it in the middle, close it up. Hmm? And where does it come again? Right at the end. Hmm? Practically the same verse. Ninth chapter of the Gita is, is about knowledge. Raja vidyam, Krishna says. Raja guhyam. Pabitram idam utamam. Patraksha vagamam dharmam susukam kartam 
Avayam. He begins the chapter. This chapter is about the king of knowledge, Rajavidya, Rajaguyam, the king of secrets. How does the chapter end? Become my devotee, love me. That's it. <laughs> so simple. It's so yeah. It's simple, yes, but it's difficult to do. <laughs> hmm? You want to change your ego, yourself, your, your, let's say, from a taking ego to a serving ego. That is like heart surgery. Hmm? It's, <laughs> it's a, quite a task, actually. Hmm? But at the same time, if we put a very desirable and attractive object before ourselves for loving... Hmm? Is the idea of Krishna, in a, in a very profound sense, then it's not so easy, it's not so hard hmm? to move from taking to to to, to loving. So the Bhagavad says, dharma yato bhakti The best thing you can do in life hmm, to solve the death problem hmm, is to live your life in pursuit of what the Bhagavad says is paro dharma, which is. Bhaktir Arhoksuje. So devotion to he who is beyond the senses. Hmm? The invisible. To serve the invisible. Hmm? Or as it means to get new eyes, right? Shastra Chakshu. Hmm? Eyes from the sacred texts. And, and to hear the sounds that you can't hear now. Hmm? We think that because we have ears we can hear, because we have eyes we can see, because we have a mind we can know. But I say all these things, the ears are getting in the way of our hearing, eyes are getting in the way of our seeing, and mind is getting in the way of our knowing. We are a unit of knowing hmm? and seeing. Do my glasses see? Yes, they do. No. My eyes see, right? Not my glasses. Do my eyes see? Hmm? No. Hmm? What if my eyes look exactly at something, but my mind is somewhere else? Hmm? Will I see it? <laughs> no. Hmm? You see? Hmm? Eyes are not seeing. Eyes require a mind, and we go back and back. it comes to Atma. Hmm? And why? And Atma comes to Paramatma, to Bhagavan. Hmm? Hmm? So, yato bhakti rahokshide, but the word parodharma is a very special word, very interesting word, because you know the word dharma. Hmm? Dharma means your duty, or it means religion, and so But the Bhagavad uses this term parodharma, parodharma, and it equates bhakti with this, parodharma. It's a kind of a dharma that transcends the moral life. Hmm? You know, the Varnashram caste system and all the rules and this and that. This is all religious life, dharma. And it applies to different religious traditions also. Hmm? The moral life. The moral life. Hmm? There's a question in human society today whether moral life has, is, is, has ontological roots or whether it's just a human construct. Hmm? Moral life. In other words, is there a good, a real good, or is it just, you know, I think that's good, and you think that's let's get together, we agree it's good, and, and so forth, but it's just a human construct. Hmm? In that perspective, that the human is just a physical 
organism, that's all, machine. Hmm? This is the myth of modern science. The myth of modern science that so much dominates the society today, knowingly or unknowingly, is that you, through science, will be delivered from the hell of human imperfection and enter into the heaven of robotic perfection. Now, you might question whether you want to go there or not. Hmm? Hmm? Is there any love for a robot? No. Is there love for a human? Yes. And what is love? It's both perfection and imperfection at the same time. Hmm? Human, we fall in love, though. So. <laughs> you see, it's very interesting. It's falling in love means, you know, oh, the child was actually blind. His eyes weren't pretty, but mother said, Lotus eyes, that will be his name. Hmm? There's an ignorance there. There's a, there, there's a, but it's beautiful. Hmm? Krishna is God, but he's like, he has problems. His friends wrestle with him and they beat him sometimes. <laughs> what kind of God is that? See? This is the nature of love. Hmm? It has this uh, give and take. It, it's at best facility. Gods can't love as well as the humans. That's why Krishna comes in human form. Hmm? For loving. Hmm? Hmm? So, the moral life, <laughs> the moral life is one thing. Bhakti is another thing. The moral life, we say, we say, moral life is ontologically rooted. Why? The materialistic perspective is that moral life is not ontologically rooted. Let's get, throw out all these ex ancient scriptures that tell us we should do this or we shouldn't do that, hmm? and so forth. It's just some made-up stuff by people who wanted to control other people. Hmm? Let's be free and figure out, we can figure out what's good and what's bad amongst ourselves. Relatively speaking, of course, it might not be good for the animals. Whatever. So, yeah, whatever. <laughs> so many problems. So, but our perspective is the Bhagavad's perspective is is there there that there is a real good, there is an an absolute good. Why? Because where does the sense of good and bad arise? Where does it arise? It arises in consciousness. That's where it arises. Judgment is a faculty of a function of consciousness. Hmm? Do you understand? Hmm? And because, from our perspective, consciousness is not the brain; it transcends the brain. It's 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 an, it's ontologically uh, independent of the brain, and it's not composed of matter, so it's not confined by time and space. Hmm? And and moral sensibilities arise in consciousness. Therefore, moral sensibilities are grounded ontologically hmm, in consciousness. Now, when consciousness, pure consciousness, is reflected in the chitta, in the subtle matter of, the, of humans, hmm, then we get this approximation of consciousness, hmm, chitta-bhas, the abhas of chitta, hmm, in our antakarana. Hmm? And then that sense of self there is focused on matter, which is always in flux, here today and gone tomorrow, moving and so forth. And so then in relation to matter, we try to find the good that is actually rooted in transcendence, and we have moral principles. Hmm? 
moral principles, if followed, often can help us to pursue the ultimate good that transcends morals as well. Hmm? The moral life is, is a partial manifestation of the absolute good. It's rooted in the absolute good. Hmm? This is a complex uh, point. Uh, that's, I may burden you with it, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but I'm making it only to say this. That when we, when Bhagwat uses the word, the term parodharma, it's speaking about something that transcends the moral life. Moral life is good, but there's something that transcends the moral life. Moral life is really ultimately only as good virtue. That means virtuous life, a sattvic life, a virtuous life, is only as good as it promotes life that transcends the moral life. Hmm? Moral life means rules. Love transcends rules. If you love someone, there are no rules. You don't have rules by which you, you know, interact with one another. You love them. You and he, she, they're like one. You're a unit. You and I become we hmm? in love. So moral life is like, let's say you live with somebody. Say you're in college and you had a roommate and you live together and so it's, everything's going fine. Hey, you know, you're nice. You're from... Gujarat, I'm from Bengal, we get along, you know, we're Indians here in America, whatever. But then after a while you realize, you know, he likes to stay up late at night, and I like to go to bed early at night. And He likes to get up late, I like to get up early, and it's getting on my, it's a problem. So they say, then you meet together and say, look, can we write down some rules? You will not stay up and play music any later than this, and I will not get up before this, and try to make the thing work somehow or other. So you, you make some rules, it's a breakdown of love. You try to, you know, make it work, something like that. This is the moral life. Hmm? Hmm? But in real love, in love, there are no rules. As much as there are rules, there's no love. As much as there are lo- love, there are no rules. Hmm? Hmm? So when, when the Bhagavatam speaks of bhakti, hmm? it speaks of a, the parodharma, a life beyond the moral life. Now it's not only beyond the moral life, hmm? the religious life, but it's beyond the knowing life as well. Hmm? We say, Dharma, come on, please come, sit. Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. These are the Purusharthas. Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. Hmm? If you do dharma, artha, and kama right, you get moksha. Hmm? If you live your human life right, in terms of its artha, its kama, and its dharma, you get moksha. The fourth, beyond. That means you've moved from the moral life to the knowing. I am. I am atma. Hmm? And you've gone to another realm, so to speak. You've, you've transcended the moral life. The sannyasin is, uh, is, is, is beyond the moral life. Hmm? Hmm? Dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Hmm? Now, in what the Bhagavata is speaking about is not dharma, when it says parodharma, artha, kama, not even moksha, but prem. Hmm? Prem. 
Prem. Prem Dharma. And that's what Krishna is speaking about in the Gita when he says, I will tell you the highest knowledge. It is of a religious nature. He says, Rajavidya Rajaguyam Pavitram Idam Uttamam Pratyakshabhagamam Dharmam. Generally, we don't put these two together, dharma and knowledge. Hmm? Knowledge in the sense of knowing the atma. Because if you know the atma, you transcend the dharma. Varna hmm? ashram. You, you, you become, you, you transcend the rules, the moral rules. Not that you're immoral, but you don't, you don't need those strictures because you are full in yourself and you don't have the urges that those strictures are meant to regulate and, and so forth. You understand? The moral life seems to regulate us in such a way, we're, we're like animals, so that more, we're coming out of the animal world and the human world, and now we have the moral, it's like moral life, it's like living in a cage. If you want to tame an animal, you put him in a cage for a while. You give a little food, open the door, put a little food, close the door. So this is the moral life, the Dharma. Hmm? It regulates us. We're addicted to interacting with the sense objects and acquiring and taking. So it says, okay, take in this way. First perform this yagya, then take. Hmm? First do this, observe this, then take. Hmm? Do like that. The whole thing is regulated. Hmm? It's meant to kind of take us from animality to humanity. Hmm? To be a human. To be tame. Hmm? In other words, in animal life, you have a dog? Anybody? Okay, you have a dog. If you have two dogs, hmm, and you say, dinner, then they both run to eat. They never say, oh, well, you go first. Hmm. <laughs> could you, could I have a little bit more? No, that's not a, that doesn't arise. The politeness, the voluntary, vol, vol, voluntary um, acts. Now, the higher you go, the more complex you go on the scale of life, the more we, find, we start to find some voluntary, like in chimpanzees, you can find a little, a little sense of voluntary. When you get to humans, this is supposed to be like this. You're supposed to say, please, thank you, you first, do voluntary acts of kindness, um, and it's thought that this, this is what makes you, makes you great, really. Don't do, Kennedy said, what you will do for yourself, but what your country, what, what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Hmm? The big idea. Hmm? Hmm? This is all about, all this kind of talk, this is human talk, it's really talk about the self. The self by nature is, is a capacity to give. We, th- we don't know the self, so we're constantly taking, thinking, by taking I'll become more, but we are that more, as I said. Hmm? So these are all ways in which human society, we speak about the Atma, we don't realize it's the Atma that we're speaking about. Hmm? So dharma, artha, kama, moksha, but now the Bhagavad speaking about prem, in which moksha is included. Hmm? Knowing yourself is, is included in, 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 in prem and entering the play of, of Bhagwan, for example. Hmm? Hmm? But something more as well. Dito bhaktir bhoksaje. So uh, beyond the moral life, hmm? And beyond the the knowing life, hmm? the life of loving. This is what the Bhagavad speaks about, and it's very beautiful because it answers the problem: how to solve the death problem. 
in a very pragmatic way and in a very friendly way, so to speak. If the problem of death is that we're attached to things that we can't keep, and therefore becomes a problem for us, if the solution is to give those things up, that becomes a, that's a problem too. <laughs> How do you do that? But if instead of giving them up, you recognize to whom they belong, and then use them in the service of the Godhead, this is the idea of bhakti, hmm? then it becomes easy. Hmm? Hmm? Now, that's a whole other explanation, easy nature of bhakti. And so there's a, but but I'm, what I'm saying to you also is that this bhakti is personified in Radha, and it, it constitutes a shakti of Bhagavan, just like you have the maya shakti that deludes so the shakti of bhakti enlightens. Hmm? And it takes a, the principal forms, according to the Bhagavad, of shravanam, kirtanam, smaranam. Hmm? What you hear about, that is what you will talk about. What you hear about and talk about, that's what you will think about. Hmm? So be careful what you hear about. <laughs> huh? So if you hear about these kind of topics. Hmm? You have to hear a little bit about other things too, but, you know, it's gradual, but make this the idea, this is the central focus of your life, this, this spiritual life, not just religious life, not just some empty religious rituals and you don't know what they mean. And, and so you need some philosophy, hmm? some, some theology. There's a debate between religion and science. It should be a debate between religion or between science and theology. Religion is just kind of like moronic almost in many, many senses. People going on, attaching themselves to certain rules, they don't know what they mean or why, and they fight with other people over it. And what's that have to do with religion? Right? This is it. But now, to think about revelation, that's theology. To think about its implications, the meaning, hmm? the answer to the why question that I am as a human, why am I? The answer coming from the consciousness world. I mean, is this not relevant? Hmm? I'll tell you what we have in life. We have two things in life. Two things to be concerned with. One thing is what's out there. What's out there? What's out there? That's one thing. Hmm? And then what's wondering what's out there? That's the other thing. These are the two things. You have to figure out what these, how these two things work together. What, what's the, what's the, the experiencer, the knower, the, 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 the inquiring, the observer, and that which is to be observed. Hmm? Hmm? Of the two, this is another thing. And I'll conclude with this. I'm going to ask for any questions. Science proceeds on the basis of the faith that there is something out there, the physical world. There's a faith, there's something out there. You see, you cannot prove there's anything out there. You experience that there's something out there, but you have all kinds of experiences. Are they all real? You cannot... So there's... Idealism says, for example, philosophically speaking, idealism says there is nothing out there, it's just your ideas. Hmm? And the other idea is, well, another idea is, no, there is something out there. Hmm? And there's only something out there. 
And ideas are somehow false. And then there's the idea that there's there's ideas, and then there's something out there both. And <laughs> so that's all there is, though. There's something out there, that, and there's something that thinks there's something out there. Hmm? Obviously, our experience of what's out there is in question because we, we we used to think, in a Newtonian sense, physically, hmm, that the world was a machine and was mechanistic, and there were hard things out there made of atoms and so forth. But now, in a quantum perspective, things that are out there are more like thoughts than they are things, right? Hmm? They're more like potentials. That if you if you observe them, then they you know, they make sense or they do something. Uh, it's, uh, so um, you know, some people want to reduce consciousness to matter. It's prominent in the scientific community, but they don't even know what matter is. So tell us what matter is before you try to reduce us to matter. Hmm? That would be a good start. But anyway, this is what we have: to these two things, and life is about understanding who is experienced and. And what's experienced? So science proceeds on a faith, on the basis of faith, that there's something out there. And spiritual life proceeds on the basis of the fact that there's someone experiencing. Hmm? That can never be denied. Try to deny that you are experiencing. You can't do that. Hmm? Because to say I to deny you're experiencing, you have to be an experiencer. Hmm? You can't do that. It's impossible. Hmm? You can say the words, but they don't mean anything. You can say, I deny that I'm an experiencer. Well, in order to do that, there has to be an experiencer in the first place. Hmm? You understand? Hmm? So we cannot deny... That is a fact. The famous atheist and thinker Bertrand Russell wrote a book long ago called The Nature of Matter. And he concluded in his book, the only thing we really know is our own consciousness. Hmm? It's a, so this is a fact. We know that we experience. So spiritual life proceeds on the basis of this fact. And modern science, not a bad thing, necessarily, but it proceeds on the basis of a faith. There's something out there called the physical world. It has such faith in it that it's these days that it that, that, that it denies the experiencer practically, and tries to turn the experiencer into something physical. That's a very confused position, from in my, in my humble opinion. So, anyway, that's the way we talked a little bit for quite some time. And forgive me for being so verbose, but they're complex subjects, and um, we don't get together that often. So. I'll conclude there. Any question? You, do you, I wanted to give the children a chance to ask any questions. Any thoughts about what we've spoken, what you heard last night, or anything? Um, anything else? Any other questions? You had a good visit to the... You went and saw the cows and... Uh, land there, our plans, we're going to turn it into a village. Hmm? Hopefully. The center will be Radha and Krishna. Hmm? They have their cows, their milk.
Hmm? They're devotees, and you're all welcome to come and spend time there, as much as you like. Building for you. Hmm? It's coming from from my heart to make this place, to be, to make a practical place where these ideas can be pursued and and you can get encouragement to pursue them. And the world is a storm of ideas. And um, especially you, you are younger people than me, most of you, and most of you. <laughs> and you have children, you have grandchildren, right? Hmm? Yeah? So you're concerned about them, the youth, and, and they should be. And they have smart uh, young children. I mean, some of them I've spoken to, and they have, have good thoughts and, and so forth. And the world is a storm of ideas and thoughts and so forth. And these ideas that we talk about that are not my property or anything, they, they're the inheritance of the earth. Hmm? They're the, from the un, unauthored sounds, just making sense out of them. These are very valuable. There's, in modern, modern world of modern science, there's only one place outside of itself that science has looked to try to understand consciousness, and that's India. Hmm? If it's looked anywhere outside of itself, it's to the mystics in India, those ideas they had a long time ago. Well, they're still around. They're pertinent ideas. They're very, very, again, they're about what is out there and what is, and who's experiencing it. Hmm? What is that? What is the experience here and what is experience? These are not old superstitious ideas that should be done away with. They're very pertinent to what it means to be a human being, very relevant to our existence and to improving it. I mean, we're talking about, you know, you know, we talk about transcendence, but I mean, the I pursuit of that, as we're talking about it, will make your life in this world, at here and the now, hmm, very beautiful. You become a beautiful person in this world, a kind person, a thoughtful person, a generous person, a responsible person. All these things will come out of the genuine pursuit of transcendence. So it's not like you have to leave one, it will... You you, you 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 pursue a higher education and the lower education will come into place as well. Anyway, no questions? Up Yeah? Oh, here's a question. Uh, a distraction? It's hope. Hmm? Hope is um, hope is a feeling and a desire hmm, to and a belief that something of value can be attained. Hmm? Hope is also um, hope is also a I want to say a kind of something based on. Um, on a pragmatic kind of consideration. Hmm? I have a hope. Because of this, I have a hope. Hmm? So because of something, I have a hope. So the hope is an aspiration for something based on something that already exists. Do you understand me? Hmm? Yeah, so I, I have, because of this and this, such and such, I have a hope. So hope doesn't necessarily have to be a distraction. No. Hmm? We have a saying in bhakti, 
Ashabandha means hope, hope. It's a, it's a hope. Our hope is this. Hmm? Hope is a. It, it actually, it's a, it actually has a positive connotation. Hope. Hmm? It's an optimism. Hmm? Is optimism a distraction? To be optimistic? Hmm? Not necessarily. If you're not optimistic, how will you go forward? Hmm? If you're, if you're always pessimistic, no, I don't think that can. I don't think that can be done. I don't think so. I don't think so. Hmm? That doesn't that doesn't make for new possibilities. Hmm? So hope is a kind of a, kind of an optimism. The question is, is optimism warranted? Hmm? According to the Veda, according to the Gita, optimism is very warranted. Yes, as long as you are a little pessimistic about the prospect of being happy just by acquiring things. If you're pessimistic about just by acquiring things, my life will be complete, hmm? then there's hope for you. <laughs> and there's, in other words, let's look at it from a Darwinian point of view. Hmm? The Darwinian point of view is that one living being, the Bhagavad says, jivo jivasya jivanam, one living being is food for another. Survival of the fittest. Struggle for existence. Living beings fighting with one another to sustain themselves and adapting, growing teeth and things to protect yourself. This is very, looks very like not a very friendly place. Hmm? But that's the reality of material existence. We're all in competition for, with one another for, for things because we think by acquiring things we'll become complete. So, but, hmm, the Bhagavatam says that, that, yes, in this world one living being is food for another. If you see that, then you will think, oh, this is not a place for a gentle per- person to live. Hmm? It's a place of strife. Hmm? But it goes on to say, but seeing that, now you have negative impetus to turn within. Hmm? And what will you find there? You find so much optimism. Hmm? That there's life beyond the struggle. There's an atma, and you are the atma. So this is a, this is a very, that's very optimistic. Hmm? It includes a healthy pessimism, hmm? but it's optimistic at the same time. So I would say, I mean, that's just one way of thinking about it, but that, that hope is, 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 an, is an optimistic perspective on something. And there are times when hope can be a problem and a distraction. But there, there. If we live without hope, hmm, then our then then our life will be very problematic. So there's a place for hope. Hmm? We may say, "I hope it works," and somebody say, "Well, that's not enough. You know, that's a distraction. We need, you know, some practical things here. That and, we're, and then we're going to go forward. We just don't go to go on a hope and a and a prayer. Hmm? But in some respects, but in an overarching, in a larger sense, we should have hope. Hmm? And why should we have hope? We should have hope because if we understand God, then we have hope. Because despite our own shortcomings and imperfections, those are not present within the perfection that is God. 
And part of the perfection of God is that he's perfectly loving. Hmm? So we have hope because God is loving. There's reason to hope. <laughs> huh? Huh? Despite our own shortcomings, huh? we have reason to be hopeful. Hmm? We don't have... I mean, there's not much hope in ourselves. We, we continue to do things that we think are not good for us. We do them, we think, I'm never going to do that again. But then we do it again. Hmm? Did you ever do something that you knew with your intelligence wasn't good for you? Ever? Once, maybe? <laughs> maybe 108 times? 108,000 times? This is a problem. <laughs> hmm? So this is our condition. Yes, we're consciousness, but we're so small. Matter overwhelms us. But Krishna's big. Matter cannot overwhelm him. So we have hope. Hmm? Like, like making connection with him. Why should you have hope? Well, let's say you only have a penny. Then you don't have much hope. I only have one in terms of what you can do, what you can buy. I only have a penny. Hmm? But, if, but if, I say, if I'm your friend and I say, hey, I got a dollar, hmm? why don't you connect with me? And we'll have 101 pennies. Suddenly, you're, by connecting with me, you're, you have hope now. You have 101 pennies. Of course, maybe there's 51 and a half, 50, what is it, 50 and a half for you and 50 and a half for me, but we're you know, friends, so we're together. We've got, a, we've got 101 pennies. Hmm? So we're small, hmm? and the world is very powerful. Hmm? But if we can connect with our source, we just met a big, bigger capitalist. Hmm? And so now we become, we become wealthy. So there's reason to be hopeful. So hope is not, in some instances, in a relative sense, hope may be a distraction. You may say, your mother may say, you say, Mom, I'm going to go such and such place. And she says, how are you going to get there? She says, I'm going to hope I get there. That's not a good enough plan. <laughs> when you go back to India and you visit, you're going to hope, you, you know, there's problems there. You know, How are you going to be safe? I hope I'll be safe. That's not good enough. That's just a, that in that instance, no. But in the larger sense, yes, we should be optimistic about life. Hmm? Yes, I'm sorry. How to get God's grace? Hmm? I think that if you if you if you are serious about that question, you your question is answered. Krishna says in Gita, So he says that. In, I'll give an English rendering of it. Sincerity is invincible. Hmm? Like attracts like. Truth attacks attracts truth. So if you you want, you 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 want the grace of God sincerely, then you're you're fifty at least fifty percent there of of, of getting there. Hmm? And then, uh, if you associate with persons who have the grace of God, then that is a good way to get the grace of God. Hmm? If someone has the grace of God and you 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 you, you believe that, hmm, then to associate with him or her hmm, means that that naturally that grace will come to you because in many respects we are a product of our associations. Karnam hmm? As we associate, so we become. Hmm? So if we do, if we have sadhusanga, hmm, right? Is how to get the, how the grace of God. Associate with those who have grace, then grace will come to you naturally. Let's say, for example, let's say that you love God. I mean, not just in a 
saying way, but I mean you are very realized. You love God, that means that you don't love so many other things, right? You know, loving God means you have no other desires. So you might say, I love God, but actually, <laughs> practically, we don't. <laughs> so, okay, but anyway, this, gradually we go there, right? So, but let's say you do love God. Hmm. Okay. And let's say also you have a family. You can have that in bhakti. In Gyanmarg, you cannot, you know, you have to be celibate in Gyanmarg, strictly according to... In Yogamarg, you have to be celibate. In Bhakti Marg, then Bhakti is more powerful. So you can convert your whole material situation into a spiritual one by the power of Bhakti. So in Bhakti, let's say you're a wife and a mother. Are you a wife and a mother, right? Okay, so you so you love your husband, you love your kids. Hmm? And we're talking about loving God. And how can you love your kids and love God at the same time? Well, it's it's easy in Bhakti because... If you love, if you pursue love of God, hmm? but you, and that is your main interest, but naturally you love your kids, hmm? then what is the nature of love? If you, if I love you, hmm? then I find out that you love some somebody else, then I naturally like that person. Do you understand? Very naturally. If I love you and I meet somebody that doesn't like you, then I don't like that person. That's the love psychology, the way it works, right? Hmm? So if you try to love Krishna, for example, hmm, and do that in a systematic way, which means you need some help, hmm, get some good guidance, and you go in a systematic way and add sadhana practice into your life, Hmm? and learning, for example, the scriptures in a systematic way and so forth. Hmm? Hmm? Then, then you do that. Then, then, then you, then, because you, by doing that, you're endearing yourself to God, then the others who are dear to you on a kind of another level, hmm? naturally, God starts to like them. Hmm? Understand? Yes, so he shows grace to them. So I'm just giving an example that if you be if you are liked by someone hmm, who loves God hmm, because you're conducting yourself in such a way that 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 is is good for you and so forth, then naturally God's grace is going to come to you. So this is a very pragmatic way that we can he, he bring the grace of God to us by associating with people who are spiritually advanced and have the grace of God in their life, it will come to you. Does that help? Something like that. Yeah. So, good questions. And um, and I'm pleased to be with all of you. Some of you I've met before. Last time I was here, so I'm happy to see you again. Some of you for the first time I'm meeting. I'm very pleased to make your acquaintance and I hope I can meet with you again and uh, give me an opportunity to think about these things, some of the things I said that I never said before. They only came because you're here. And and so ideas come from within and come out and we try to translate feeling of love into logic and language and examples that you might be touched by that and we can become closer to, to one another. So...
Yes, you can share something. We are very fortunate that Swamiji is going to come to our our program next Sunday. So the, our goal was so that we can build on it, so we can keep churning on these thoughts. And like Swamiji explained, what we hear about, what we talk about, is what we will think about. So we all have an opportunity that this next whole week we can churn about what we have heard and we can talk about what we have heard and we can get our questions ready so that when Swamiji is there next Sunday and he will be sharing about the topic about how we can put spirituality in our daily life with all our responsibilities, we can surely add our questions and keep them ready so that we really put into practice what we heard. Very Just good. Try. Yes, very good. Very good advice. Very good advice. Bhagavan Shri Krishna ki jai. Jai. Kaur Bhakta Brinda ki jai.